People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. This is People of the Book, and we have an unbelievable opportunity today to be speaking to one of the great literary talents to come out from America in the last year or so. We have Nathan Hill on the line from Cape Town. He's in South Africa for a book fair in a book festival in Cape Town, the Open Book. And Nathan, welcome to our shores here in South Africa. You're enjoying the beauty of Cape Town. And it is an absolute, absolute honor to have you on our show on People of the Book to discuss writing and to discuss your book, The Knicks. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. The Knicks is a debut novel, but there's a lot of story behind just the actual book itself. Before we get into discussing the process, can you outline the the narrative and show us, let our listeners in on how you uh, were insp- how you inspired to write the book and what you want to achieve with this with this this brilliant novel, uh, the Knicks. It's funny. Uh, I usually the, the book is <laughs> the book is, is quite um, quite a complicated plot, and so uh, I usually describe it just in terms of what the person I'm talking to wants to hear. So sometimes I describe it as a family mystery, and sometimes I describe it as a historical novel, and sometimes I describe it as a, a kind of comic, satirical, almost dark humor uh, sort of a book. And I guess it has elements of, of all of those things. The, the heart of the story is a, it's really a mother-son story. Um, uh, my two main characters, Faye and Samuel. Faye is, uh, is Samuel's mother, and she abandons uh, him uh, and, uh, and, and their family uh, when he's 11 years old. And then he doesn't see her again uh, for another 20 years uh, until one day she sees, uh, he, sees, uh, he sees her uh, on the news throwing rocks at a, uh, at a conservative presidential candidate. And uh, it's kind of this absurd crime story that goes viral, and he decides to uh, investigate her and see not only why she's committing this absurd crime, but also what she's been doing all this time and why she left the family when she did 20 years earlier. And he discovers this, this whole epic story, uh, that, that, uh, he never, he never knew about, that nobody ever knew about. Um, in terms of why, why I wrote the book or, or what I was trying to achieve, I, 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 I don't know if I had any one goal in mind that I was trying to achieve with this book. I know that, that the book took a long time. It took 10 years to write. Uh, and so, um, any, any goals I might have had were revised many, many times along the way. Um, I, I know one thing that was really important to me, uh, was that, uh, that the characters ultimately felt real and that they, that the reader had, um, had to experience a kind of journey as they understood the characters better. I, I assume that you're going to have, uh, certain, um, sort of, uh, immediate reactions to these characters that then will be undermined once you learn more about them. And uh, that was a that was an important goal for me because uh, because I found at least in my country um, uh, 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 I found that people are more and more maybe because of social media uh, more and more making very quick snap judgments uh, about other people. They they see a headline or they see a quick news story and they they render a verdict in their mind immediately. And I wanted to undercut that a little bit. I wanted to uh, have the reader kind of experience the. The, the pleasure of being able to change your mind, uh, the pleasure of, uh, of uh, having your, your first impression undermined. Um, and, uh, and so, so yeah, so I'm, I'm hoping that, that the reader will kind of come along for this long journey um, and uh, kind of learn more about these characters, just as Samuel learns more about his mom. These characters, uh, especially Samuel and his mother, Faye, are so well drawn. How did you create such multidimensional people? 
on the page? It's funny. It's really the, the, the result of hundreds of small decisions made over a long period of time. I, I know that, that uh, Samuel came to me pretty quickly. Uh, he's the most autobiographical character. Uh, he is a struggling writer, which, of course, I was for a very long time. Uh, he is an academic. He teaches writing and, and literature at a university, which I did for a very long time. Um, and uh, he's he's very worried that uh, his whole career won't amount to anything, um, which which I was very worried about for a long time too. Uh, and uh, uh, and so so he came pretty quickly. Uh, Faye, his mother, on the other hand, was was a real mystery to me for a long time. Um, and perhaps that's appropriate. The, the the book's written from Samuel's point of view, and so um, and and Faye is a is a is a mystery to him. So maybe it's maybe it makes sense. Uh, but um, uh, at some point, I decided I needed to dive into Faye's backstory to really understand her better. And so I started writing about uh, her years in high school, uh, growing up in a very small uh, town on the Mississippi River in uh, the state of Iowa. And uh, and it wasn't until that moment that I, I started figuring her out. Uh, and so there's and, and that ends up staying in the book. Uh, we we see. We see Faye as an 18-year-old struggling to decide whether she wants to leave her hometown or not, uh, and um, and that's when she sort of clicked into place. But it took a while for for, for her to make sense to me. I always find it fascinating to hear authors talking about the journey that their characters take them on. We always think of an author as a creator, he's created someone, but very often in interviews like this, you actually hear that the character takes the author on a journey. So the way that you're describing Faye's development, uh, it really is one of those literary uh, protagonists who takes her creator on a journey of, I suppose, your self-development and your, self, your, your self-creation as an author. I'd, I'd like to ask you about Faye. At this, at this um, attack that you spoke about when she attacks a conservative uh, American presidential can, uh, candidate, she's then called the Packer Attacker. And I read the book during the time of the 2016 American presidential election. So there were quite a lot of very, very immediate and uh, – very, very sharp observances that you were making that became extremely real while I was reading the book. You make a lot of comments about Americans, America's political discourse and also the role of the media just by calling Faye the pack attacker, which is the name that the media gives her in the beginning of the book. You, you, you're making statements. I'd like you to elaborate on your, your, your thoughts on that. It's funny. I, the book came out uh, last August, uh, kind of in the middle of our of our uh, presidential election season, and uh, and and when the book came out, uh, a lot of critics and journalists asked me about this 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 character, Governor Packer, uh, the right wing presidential candidate, and they said, well, of course, this character is based on Donald Trump, right? And, and the truth is that I I wrote that character eight years ago. Uh, and when I, when I wrote that character, I was writing, writing a character to be sort of absurd. I, I wanted a character, uh, to be just kind of ridiculous and over the top. Um, and then eight years later, it, the book comes out and, uh, and everybody's saying that it's based in reality, correct? And, and so it just kind of goes to show how quickly our political discourse became absurd, um, in the U.S. Um, and yeah, when, when, when Faye, uh, when Faye, uh, you know, attacks this this character with rocks one day, um, throwing throwing gravel at him in a in a public park, um, and it, it get captured it gets captured on video and it goes viral online and on television. 
I guess I just, um, I, I, I guess I, I tried to really think through what would be uh, the media's response to this, and especially television news, which plays up kind of emotion and uh, and sensationalism. Um, and uh, and I, you know, I, I I just kind of followed it down the rabbit hole and. Uh, and and did 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 to it what the media usually does with whatever is the biggest story of the day, which is to kind of uh, cover it in what feels like a flying av- avalanche of of news coverage. Um, and so, you know, you get everybody's perspective on this. You have all the all the talking heads on television making their own commentary. You have the special interest groups uh, who who weigh in from from their perspective. Um, and uh, the funny thing that happens when 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 the media does this, when they really kind of descend on a, on a subject is that there's so many different uh, points of view and there's so much so much kind of um, oh uh, um, uh, so many arguments flying around that it, it doesn't increase anybody's knowledge or wisdom or, or compassion um, mostly uh, mostly what what happens is it's just uh, uh, renders the thing into into terms of just pure emotion um, and, uh, and 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 almost discreates discreates the news rather than creates it. Uh, uh, the, the news starts feeling like a, a flock of sheep without a shepherd, just flying everywhere all at once. Um, and so I, I guess I was just trying to mimic that. Uh, I know that whenever I watch television news in the States with some big story, uh, the more I watch it, the more I feel like I don't know anything about the subject. That definitely came across very, very clearly in the, in, in the way that you portrayed the media. Uh, I want to move on to the your your uh, literary agent Samuel has a literary agent in the book Gar Periwinkle. He has a small role in the book. He comes across on a few pages here, a few pages later on in the book, but he is extremely memorable. You're in South Africa now, thousands of miles away from New York, so nothing you say now will make his way back to the literary salons and uh, of New York. How much of Gar Periwinkle is based on real people? <laughs> um, all right. Well, since I'm so far away from from the homeland, uh, yeah, this this character was based on an agent who rejected me. Uh, <laughs> so, um, I, I, you know, I, I I had been setting up my writing um, for a long time, and uh, and you know, getting getting lots of rejections. So that's that's normal. You know, that's every every artist goes through that period. And uh, but this one rejection came through that just struck me as very cynical um uh uh the agent in question uh wrote to me saying that uh he couldn't represent my book because uh what readers want these days are you know um uh easy narratives with uh with easy life lessons um and i i was mystified by that comment i i didn't think that that was true i thought i thought readers wanted something uh, more complicated than that more interesting than that um, and and so that that line, that one line from his email, I think I gave to Periwinkle verbatim in one part of the book, um, and uh, and 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 thus this character was born as just the most cynical sort of um, freewheeling uh, manipulator of the media and kind of media guru type of a character, um, and it all grew from this one email from this agent. I'll never say who the agent was, and he probably doesn't even remember rejecting me at this point. But uh, but it was my my own little measure of revenge the, uh, uh, it works very well Periwinkle does come off the page I kept looking forward to the next time he flits into Samuel's <laughs> life and just to enjoy it I could I could sense as a reader the amount of fun that you got even the creation of uh, of Gar Periwinkle um, 
Samuel in the book works in a university in an English department, as you said you also you also did, and he has a particular nightmare series of episodes with a student named Laura Potsdam. Uh, I also, uh, if I could have climbed into the page and I don't know somehow slapped her for all the different things she was doing to Samuel, I would have. How true to well? Can you explain what Laura Potsdam does to Samuel just a little bit, and then how true to life is that in the real universities? Do students blackmail their 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 their, their professors or their teachers, and almost like this hostage taking, holding their reputation and their careers in the in in the palms of their hands? It's true that uh, that Laura is a uh, is a controversial character. Um, uh, she uh, she's a sophomore in college in in uh, Samuel's intro to literature class, and she has been uh, uh, she's been given the assignment to write a paper on Hamlet, Shakespeare's play Hamlet, and uh, she she really doesn't feel like doing this, and so she finds a paper about Hamlet online and um, copies it and puts her name on it and turns it in, and Samuel discovers this, and so um, he is threatening to uh, fail her for plagiarism for cheating, and she in the first scene that that where we experience her, um, she has uh, a variety of um, of, <laughs> of ways, of rhetorical um, arguments as to why she should not be uh, uh, she should not be failed for uh, for cheating. Um, yeah, she is uh, she's pretty manipulative. She's pretty underhanded. Um, uh, I think she she might be the smartest person in the book. Frankly, uh, I, I had great fun uh, writing her. And yeah, it, it is it is based um, it is sort of autobiogra- autobiographical. Um, I don't know I don't know what the situation's like in South Africa. I know that in in the U.S. Um, if you if you Google the term plagiarism epidemic, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, there's a lot of this happening in the states right now. A lot of a lot of students are are um, are kind of uh, cutting corners by by plagiarizing papers uh, from from the web. Um, and this happened to me a lot. Like when I when I taught, I taught for about ten years, first year writing classes, and I don't think a semester went by when I didn't find somebody plagiarizing a paper or cheating in some way. Um, it's quite common. Um, at least it, it was when I was teaching, and uh, and I, I, I I'm not sure quite maybe why my my own pet theory um, is that uh, is that as opposed to when I was in college, you know, when I, I graduated in uh, college in the late '90s, and uh, and back then, you know, if I got a bad grade on on a cl- in a class, I just kind of take it on the chin and move on. It wouldn't really make a uh, big of a, wasn't wasn't that big of a deal. Um, I, I was pretty confident that I would get a job out, out of college, and and indeed I did. Um, my students these days do not feel that relaxed about grades. Students these days feel under a lot of pressure. They grew up during a recession. Um, it's they're, they're experiencing a more globalized economy. There's much more competition. Um, there's absolutely no guarantee that they'll get a job when they get out of college. And, and so any bad grade um, is much more meaningful to them than, say, it was to me when I was their age. And so uh, the stakes have been raised immeasurably. And so students um, are, I think, uh, cutting more corners than maybe they used to. Um, uh, if if it's between um, getting a C on a paper they write themselves and, and plagiarizing a paper and getting an A and hopefully not getting caught, uh, they might do the latter. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and so it's just a very different context um, from, from what I was used to when I was a student. This is People of the Book. We're speaking to American author Nathan Hill, who's in South Africa at the moment, uh, the author of a novel called The Knicks, which has been brilliantly reviewed across 
media in America, in England. The book came out at the end of last year, but it's available still in the shops. The, 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 the paperback has been uh, released already. It's a fantastic, fantastic novel. We've got a few more questions for Nathan. He'll start straight after this ad break. People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. You're very critical of technology in the Knicks. You you bring it onto the page. You show how technology is changing the way that we communicate. Uh, and you do that very effectively. Then you also have a character called Ponage, uh, who is representative of the, um, the 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 way that technology can change just our our life and just looking after our own health uh, at the, that, that becomes a cost at the altar of just enjoying oneself immersed in uh, a multiplayer game here you've in, in, you've invented a world uh, a, a game called world of elfscape Elf, how true is ponage and why did you include him into the Knicks? Yeah, this is partly why I find uh, describing the book sort of difficult because um, uh, you know it is it, ha- it does have the central spine of this mother son story, but then you have characters like Laura and Periwinkle and Ponage who who are bringing their own um, their own stories uh, into into the game. Um, Ponage uh, arose from my own experience playing video games. Um, I I, uh, I had I, when I was uh, in my mid uh, mid to late twenties, I was living in New York City. And, uh, and I, I'd been, you know, recently, uh, robbed, you know, like my, uh, all of my stuff was taken one day, um, uh, uh, and, uh, I was not making any money and all my writing was getting rejected. It was a very dark time in my, in my life. And a friend of mine, uh, on the opposite coast from me, um, said that, uh, that I should buy this video game called World of Warcraft, which is an online multiplayer kind of fantasy game. And, uh, and so I did, and we played it together, and he, he, he suggested that only because he could then, we could chat with each other while we were playing the game together, and it was his way of keeping an eye on me. He was worried. I was having just a bad time of it. I was having a rough time in New York. And, um, and that, that lasted for about six to eight months, and he finally grew tired of the video game, but I didn't. I just kind of kept playing, um, and played quite religiously for, for three or four years. Um, played enough that it would easily qualify as a as a part time job for me. I, I I was I was uh, I was I was saying no to certain social engagements because I had to go raid with my guild. Um, so yeah, I was I was doing it a lot, and um, it was weirdly helpful. You know, like things in my in my life were not going very well. Things in my career were not going very well. But at the end of the day, I could fire up this video game and be very good at it and uh, feel a sense of control and accomplishment where I wasn't feeling that in the rest of my life. And that was really important. Uh, but then fast forward three or four years, and I realized that I, I need to quit it because it, I'm spending way too much time with it, and it's taking me away from my real life. And so I, I did. I quit it uh, and haven't really played since. Um, but that kind of love-hate feeling I had to the game, I loved that it was sort of a painkiller for me when I needed it. Um, but then I also resented it for, for how much time it took away from my real life. Um, that ambiguity um, felt interesting to me, and so I decided to put it put it into the book. And so Ponage was created, who is kind of the mother of all video game addicts. Um, everything's going wrong in his life, but he is a master at this one video game. And so he sort of reflects uh, a very amplified version of, of what I myself went through. Currently, there's, there's some research findings coming out about people addicted, so addicted to these multiplayer games that they end up in hospital. You got there 
at the same time or even before all this uh, research and the the tracking of this 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 mini epidemic in the west right reached above the radar so from that perspective Ponage is not just an interesting character he's also to a degree prophetic of um the 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 hold that these games have over especially young men who don't have the greatest job prospects facing them. I found Ponage very powerful from that that, that that perspective, putting him into the real or having something that's happening around us totally um, investigated from the psychological point of view. You climbed into his head and you put him across on the page. Uh, I found, as someone in education, I found that extremely valuable in order to understand my teenage students. Want to ask you about the title of the book, The Knicks. What is a Knicks? A Knicks is a, a character from Norwegian folklore. Uh, it has a lot of different names um, depending on, on where you are uh, in the world. Um, it's a Scandinavian and Germanic myth, uh, so it's called a Nix or a Neck or a Nixie or a Nokken, depending on where you are. Um, in the Norwegian version of this story, a, a Nix is a, a spirit of the water that's usually depicted as a sort of horrible, ugly, troll-type thing, but it's a shapeshifter, and it will sometimes appear to children who are out walking alone as a beautiful white horse, uh, and it will it will tempt them to climb aboard. Uh, and if they do climb aboard, it will run them into the water and drown them. It's one of those, uh, you know, terrifying stories that I guess you tell tell children when they're, you know, to to uh, to teach them certain lessons. And the lesson of the Knicks, um, for me, I was thinking about it from the kid's point of view. That suddenly here's this big horse uh, that's offering itself to you. Um, uh, it, it must have been the coolest thing that ever happened to them. They must have been so happy and delighted. Uh, that they were now the proud owner, owners of this this horse, um, and then of course tragedy struck. And so the the moral of the story to me seemed like sometimes the things that mean the most to us, the things that we, we love the most, um, can sometimes hurt us the worst. And uh, I realized that this was happening to all of my characters in the book. They're all undermined by the very things that meant the most to them. So Samuel, uh, by his own mother who abandoned him, and Ponage by the very video game that he's he's obsessed with. Uh, Laura's undermined by the devices, the, her phone and, and social media um, presence that, that sort of give her life meaning. Um, uh, Samuel's father is a workaholic who's undermined by the very company he works for. Uh, and on and on and on, it seemed like this was a, a repeating pattern um, in the book. And so it made sense to, to use it as, as, as a title, as a way to kind of gather all these, these stories together. Uh, a book as rich and ambitious as The Knicks could not just have been written in a vacuum. It took you, you said, 10 years. Your talent obviously goes into the book. And anyone who's reading this book cannot help but be impressed with the, the, the power of your writing. Besides you, what other influences have molded your writing, authors, books, or other events? Mm. Yeah, uh, uh, thanks. I, I will say that, that uh, it's funny. Uh, when I started writing the book, uh, you know, I started with, a, with some material about, um, about protests, and specifically the 2004 protests, and, uh, and, and then uh, I, I stopped and started writing other material and, and finally came back to that, that stuff about seven years later, the stuff that inspired the whole book. Seven years later, I came back to it and realized none of it was good enough, that I had to start all over. Uh, because in some ways, like, I really learned how to write the book while writing the book. Like, it, the book sort of taught me how to write it. 
um, probably because it just took so long to do. Um, but yeah, I, I of course lots of influences along the way and uh, and authors um, that I that I love. Um, I, I kind of think of it like uh, like bands or songs that catch you at the right time in your life. You know, like maybe if you if you heard this song uh, earlier or later in life, it wouldn't have, wouldn't have penetrated as much. But since you heard it at the right moment, it, it got you. And the, and and the authors that caught me at just the right moment. Um, I, I think John Irving is a big one for me. Uh, I, I was living in Iowa City as a college student, thinking that maybe I, I could be a writer. And I knew that Irving was uh, an Iowa City resident for a long time, and he wrote novels about young men who are, are trying to become writers. And so I just felt like very proximate. And, and besides, his, his plots and his characters are so amazing. So that meant a lot to me. Um, I discovered Virginia Woolf when I was in grad school, um, and I loved how... Uh, the 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 tone of her of her writing sounds like like you're in somebody's brain from the inside. I love how interior she gets in, 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 with her characters. Um, David Foster Wallace was a big deal for me uh, after I graduated. I didn't encounter his writing until after he had died. Um, uh, but uh, his, the, his last book, The Pale King, was the first book of his I read and and loved it. And then went back and read all the other stuff. Um, and I just love how. How bold he is! How uh, how how freewheeling he is in his choices, and and how um, how willing he is to uh, to kind of go down a certain path um, and really explore everything uh, there is to explore down that path. So he's he's very brave in that way. So I think those were the writers that meant the most to me along the way. There, the, are there any interesting anecdotes within the the writing of the book, or once the book? was then offered to different publishers. You published in America by Knopf, which is the, 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 the golden standard of literary works in, uh, in around the world. And uh, in Britain, you published by Picador, so uh, a very literary imp, uh, uh, imprint. Or anything that happened during your tours that stick out? You've been, you've, you've been meeting some of uh, the greats of the, the literary world. There has to be at least one story. Oh, there, <laughs> there have been, uh, there have been a lot of, a lot of stories. Um, I, I think my, my favorite, the highlight of the, of the tour for me uh, was, uh, was sitting with, with John Irving uh, in Toronto where he lives um, being, uh, being interviewed by him about the Knicks. I mentioned, of course, that he's a he's a hero of mine, and we happen our paths happened to cross like two years ago in Oslo, Norway, um, uh, when I was I happened to be there on vacation, and he happened to be there um, uh, promoting his his uh, his newest book, and we happened to have the same Norwegian publisher, uh, so it just all happened to work out that we we um, we connected uh, and had a very nice time together and uh, uh, at dinner. And then he offered to uh, to read the book and 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 really enjoyed it and gave me my first blurb and then invited me to come uh, to do an event with him in Toronto and so I did and that was like uh, that was that was incredibly special and also terrifying being interviewed by John Irving uh, live in front of uh, hundreds of people um, but it was it was so much fun and uh, and uh, probably easily a, 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 a career highlight for me. This is the beginning of your career because it's your first novel. What are you currently working on? Do you, oh, are you prepared to tell us? Because uh, after reading <laughs> the next, I, I, I'm, I'm waiting for a follow-up. Well, I've been, I've been, uh, I've been on tour pretty consistently since the next came out. Um, it's been out for a little more than a year, um, and I'm going to continue to be on tour probably until the middle of October. Um, right now, I'm in South Africa, and then I go to Europe for uh, about a month. 
uh, and uh, and then I'll then I'll be home again, and I'll be able to start working on the next one. Um, really throwing myself into it. I know this this last year, as I've been I've been touring, I haven't been able to write, but the next book has been sort of marinating in my head all this time. So I'm ready to go. I have my characters. I have my setting. I think I know what's going to happen, but I usually figure that out along the way anyway. So I'm I'm eager to get to it, but I, I haven't really been able to do much yet. It's been an absolute honor to have you uh, on the show, the author of the next Nathan Hill in South Africa for the Open Book Festival in Cape Town. Thank you so much for your time. And everyone out there, this book I reviewed last year, it's now available in softcover uh, paperback in South Africa. It is more than worth the time that you're going to put in. You're going to be surrounded by a cast of new friends with interesting uh, and very strange habits. You're going to get inside their heads because that's what Nathan Hill does very, very well. At go out, get a copy of the next. You have to read it. It is one of the one of the great literary events of the the current the current the current year. And Nathan, thank you so much for your time. Enjoy your stay in South Africa, and uh, we look forward to whatever you're going to produce next. Well, thank you so much for inviting me, and, and thanks for the conversation. I appreciate it. It's it's our, it's, it's our pleasure. Welcome to South Africa. People of the book on one hundred one point nine High FM. And this is People of the Book. We've just finished our interview with Nathan Hill, the author of The Knicks. He's in South Africa together with a host of other authors, both locally and international, in Cape Town for the Open Book Festival. It was a great uh, pleasure and a privilege to have him on the radio uh, discussing his book, The Knicks. Now, the rest of the show, I'm going to try to get through a number of books, more short than uh, in-depth reviews. And uh, these are all books available in the shops right now. And uh, they, it's a wide selection covering uh, a very, very wide range of interests. The first book I'm going to look at is called Child, and it is by Fiona Barton. Fiona Barton was a journalist with the Daily Mail, and uh, she had her, her debut novel that came out last year, The Widow. This is now her second book, The Child. And it's arriving in shops right now at the moment. It's a fascinating and fitting follow-up to her first book, The Widow. The Widow was looking at the wife of a child uh, a child murderer and trying to get into the mind of the woman who's married to this monster. What was going through her mind during the time that she was married to her husband and during the trial where her husband was publicly cross-examined for his, 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 his horrendous actions. This dark matter continues into the book The Child. Barton's idea for her second novel came from her experience as a journalist as a Daily Mail reporter, Barton would save news clippings of stories that interested her, and so the inspiration for the child. A paragraph about an infant skeleton found in a garden was squirreled away, this is what Fiona Barton says, by me many years ago. I wanted to know who the baby was and why someone had secretly buried it. Barton never wrote that story when she was working for the Daily Mail, but she did turn it into a tense and tightly written tale, that is now available in the shops. This book, The Child, will keep the reader engaged and entertained. 
At the centre of the novel is journalist Kate Waters, who was a supporting character in her first book, The Widow. An old-school investigative reporter, Waters' last big story was two years earlier with the resolution of the abduction and murder of Bella Elliott. That was the central plot of the book The Widow. Now, Kate is trying to survive in the ever-changing 24-hour news cycle newsroom environment where clickbait on celebrities is favoured, overlong format investigative journalism and layoffs always loom in the background. And that part of the newspaper industry is Fiona Barton's bread and butter. She can put across what it's like to be a news journalist in the internet age very well. When Kate comes across the headline, Baby's Body Found, she's intrigued. The barest of facts are given. The skeletal remains of a baby are found at a building site in the working-class neighbourhood of Woolwich in southeast London. Waters contract the story and start investigating. She is paired with a young reporter whose reporting experience is more online than real world. Kate takes him, and you the reader, through the process of investigating a story that can't be done through web searches only. During investigation, Waters crosses paths with three disparate women. Emma, a 40-something book editor, married with no children. Her mother, Jude, and Angela, a 60-something homemaking grandmother. At the start, there's no apparent connection between Emma and her mother and Angela, except for their their interactions with Kate. But as the novel progresses, this all begins to change. In the child, the suspense comes immediately. The book's short chapters and multi-narrative device propel readers forward, drawn back and forth between each character's backstory and their present situation. One is constantly figuring, figuring out what role each plays in the discovery of the child. And when you think you've figured it out, everything changes and then changes again. That's Fiona Barton really pulling the strings. In addition to being a page-turning whodunit, the child is also a subtle exploration of the relationships between mothers and their children, their bonds and battles. What makes a good mother? When it comes to maternal love, is there a fine line between helping and hindering? This is The Child. It's from the author of The Widow, Fiona Barton. If you didn't read The Widow last year when it came out in trade paperback, it's definitely available in soft cover at the moment. And you can also read The Child. It's, it's a dark domestic thriller, but it's really very authentic. And you've got that added journalistic background that really does make itself very, very, very present in Fiona Barton's writings. Now, the next book that I'm going to look at is uh, it's uh, a much lighter book. And it's the type of thing that will go down very, very well in a book club. It's called Pieces of Happiness, a novel of friendship, hope, and chocolate. So it's a total, total different type of a book from The Child. A group of friends, and it's written by Anne Ostbeats, published by Doubleday. A group of friends wonder if they can pick up where they left off 40 years ago. When Kat mails letters to her high school friends, inviting them to pack up their lives and move to Fiji, she isn't sure what to expect. What Kat has lived, while Kat has lived in countless locales around the world, her friends Sina, Lisbeth, Ingrid and Maya have lived more conventional lives back in their native Norway. Still, 
they are all in their late 60s at the point where they are willing to jump at the chance to try something new. That isn't to say that the other women have had it easy. They've all dealt with more than their fair share of anxiety regarding children and family life, financial woes, relationship troubles and health concerns. Together the women create a new future for themselves in Fiji, eventually converting Kat's cocoa plantation into a fledgling chocolate business. Late in the novel, Lisbeth wonders, is it possible to become who you were before? Indeed, this is the very question that lingers as each woman attempts to either reclaim or refashion her identity across the world in her later years. Will Sina Kataz with her manipulative son Armand and finally force him to grow up? Will Lisbeth be able to shake her insecurities? Will Kat find the solace and companionship she was looking for when she extended this intense invitation to her distant friends? This is a delectable food novel set in a lush location, but unwavering friendships. It makes quite light reading, but it's very, very, very uh, it's realistic in the sense of relationships and friends. So that is Pieces of Happiness. We'll be back with more straight after this ad break. People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. This is the book show. We've looked at two books so far, The Child by Fiona Barton and Pieces of Happiness by Anne Osby. And that's all after our interview with Nathan Hill, the author of The Knicks, who's currently in Cape Town at the moment. The next book I'm going to do is going to be a giveaway. This is a local book. It's written by Gail Schimmel. It's called The Park. It's a great domestic thriller. And uh, when you read the book, whoever wins it, and if you don't win it, you can go out and buy it in the shops. It is available. You'll recognize Johannesburg on the pages of The Park. Good mothers take their children to the park. Rebecca doesn't expect to make new friends at this stage of her life. But when she becomes mother to little Amy, she finds herself spending her afternoons in the park. There she meets other mothers. First flamboyant fun Rose, and then single mom Lilith whose inner strength is tangible and whose eyes never leave her toddler. Very soon, the three women have formed a trio, the type of friends who feel at home in each other's kitchens, and their daughters begin to behave like sisters. But Rebecca is about to learn that friendship is not always what it seems and that sometimes you trust the wrong people. At a time when she needs to lean on them, one of her new friends does the unthinkable, and the other turns on her in a way she could never have anticipated. Her two park friends will change Rebecca's life and her family forever. Gail Schimmel is the author of two novels, Marriage Vows, which came out in 2008, and Whatever Happened to the Cowley Twins, which came out in 2013. She runs her own consultancy as a specialist in advertising law and lives in Johannesburg with her family. To win this book, all you need to do is SMS us or WhatsApp us. The SMS number is 34519. The WhatsApp number is 0621482374. You need to give us your name and the title of the book that you're currently reading. That's SMS on 34519 or WhatsApp on 0621482374. And that's Gal Schimmel's book, The Park. Local author, done well. That's Gail Schimmel, and the book is called The Park uh, Domestic Thriller. The next book I'm going to look at is called Spoils, and it's by Brian Van Riet. He's an American. 
And this is, he was born in Houston, grew up there and in West Maryland. Following the 9-11 attacks in, 20, in 2001, he dropped out of the University of Virginia where he was an Eccles scholar and he enlisted in the U.S. Army as a tank crewman. He served in Iraq under stop-loss orders, achieving the rank of sergeant and was awarded a Bronze Star for Valor. After an honorable discharge, he studied at the University of Missouri and later the University of Texas. His fiction has been recognized with awards and fellowships from the Missioner Center for Writers, Gulf Coast, and the Iowa Review. He currently lives in Austin with his wife and their daughter. The book is called Spoils. It's been mentioned on the show before. When we had uh, Viz Chetty in from Penguin Random House Books, and this is the main... Uh, this is the story. It is the spring of 2003 and coalition forces are advancing on Iraq. Images of a giant statue of Saddam Hussein crashing to the ground in Baghdad are being beamed to news channels around the world. 19-year-old specialist Cassandra Wigherd, on her first deployment since joining the U.S. Army two years earlier, is primed for war. For Abu al-Hud, a jihadist since the days of the Soviet occupation of Afghanistan, War is wearing thin. Two decades of fighting and the new wave of super-radicalized fighters joining the ranks in the wake of the September 11 attacks have left him questioning his commitment to the struggle. When Cassandra is taken prisoner by Al-Hul's Mujahideen Brotherhood, both fighters will find their loyalties tested to the very limits. This novel is fast-paced and it's a hard-hitting account of eight weeks in the lives of a soldier and her Islamic captor forces them to reconsider the simplistic narratives of the war spun by those in power. With its privileged insights into the reality of armed combat, spoils, shines a light on the uncertainty, fear and idealism that characterized the early days of one of the most important conflicts of our times. Now, a book like this, it's a debut uh, it has received unbelievable shout-outs for some of the greats uh, in literature today. Philip Mayer, the author of American Rust, said the following, Moving immediately into the pantheon of first-rate war novels, Spoils reads like a nightmare within a tragedy, a story that is both touchingly classic and brutally modern. This is a definitive record of the war that marked the end of the American empire, one of the best novels of our time in the Middle East. And Kate Atkinson, who's the author of Life After Life, which was a brilliant book, came out about three years ago, she wrote the following. I read this with awe. Spoils is a harrowing and incredibly powerful debut which shows war in all its complexity and viciousness and which attempts to humanize it through extraordinary and conflicted characters. The female soldier, Cassandra Wigherd, is superbly drawn and her relationship with the young jihadist will stay with me for a long time. And we do have a winner for the book, The Park. Our office will be contacting, uh, will be contacting our winner uh, to come and fetch the book, The Park, by Gail Schimmel. The book is published in the shops right now. And uh, you're supporting a local author, published by Macmillan, and it's uh, it's a great domestic thriller, The Park, by Gail Schimmel. We'll be back with the last few book reviews straight after this ad break. People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. Holland, 1940. The last German Kaiser 
has been living in exile for the past 22 years, hidden from the world in the Dutch countryside. When the Nazis invade Holland, they send Captain Brunt, a German officer, to determine if the British Secret Service has infiltrated the home of Kaiser Wilhelm II during the onset of World War II. On arriving at the Dutch Dutch residence, Brandt soon discovers that someone close to the Kaiser has been sending radio signals to England. While the Gestapo race to identify and eliminate the secret agent, Brandt strikes up a passionate affair with one of the housemaids, Mika, who radiates with confidence and beauty, but underneath harbours two great secrets. Brandt must make a choice. Does he follow his duty to the Third Reich, or does he help the woman he has fallen in love with? Based on the novel The Kaiser's Last Kiss by Alan Judd, The Exception is a gripping and passionate drama starring Academy Award-winning actor Christopher Plummer, Lily James, Jay Courtney, and Janet McTeer. The Exception releases at select cinemas this Friday. This is People of the Book. We're looking at a number of books in short, quiet, quick little, uh, little bursts. We've interviewed Nathan Hill, the author of The Knicks, uh, who is in South Africa at the moment at the Open Book Festival in Cape Town. We looked at Gail Schimmel's book, The Park, Pieces of Happiness by Anne Ostby. Uh, it's five women going off from Norway to live in Fiji and turn a cocoa plantation into a chocolate factory. And then uh, the second of our two dark uh, domestic thrillers, The Child by Fiona Barton. The other dark domestic thriller was... Gail Parks, Gail Shimmer's The Park. Then we looked at a, a, an instant classic war book called Spoils, written by Brian Van Riet. Then the last three books I'm going to look at, all very quick. The, the, first, the first of them is called Under the Sun by Lottie Mogach. Lottie Mogach is Deborah Mogach's daughter. And Deborah is a fixture of the British literary scene. She's written quite a few books about the Golden Age novel set in the Golden Age of uh, Holland. And she also wrote the, the Marigold Hotel uh, books, which were made into movies. And now, this is her daughter. This is her daughter, Lottie Magach. And it's also it's Lottie Magach's second novel. Her first one was Kiss Me First, which she also reviewed here on HFM. Even living the dream can become a living nightmare. This is under the sun. Anna's friends and family think she's living the dream under the Spanish sun, but the reality is anything but perfect. The handsome, complicated man she was building a life with has left her little more than a note to say goodbye, and the future she imagined has crashed around her ears. Anna has secretly embarked on an ill-advised affair and lives above the dingy bar she runs in the sleepy beach town of Maria in Spain, surrounded by British expats as homesick and stuck as she is. When a local businessman offers to rent Anna's house, she hopes it will pave the way for her escape, but there is more to him than meets the eye. And when a body washes up on the beach in mysterious circumstances, Anna realizes she must be the only one with the power to unravel the truth. Now that she has nothing left to lose, she's prepared to risk everything. This book, Under the Sun, is urgent, it's gripping, and it's brilliantly observed. It's an exhilarating novel about heartbreak, migration, and finding a place to call home. So that's Under the Sun, published by Picador. It's Lottie Mogach's second novel, and anyone's looking for a, a great thriller, you'll have it there in the book Under the Sun. And the next book we're going to look at is 
really a very modern ghost story. It's about a haunted house. It's called The Upstairs Room, and it's by Kate Murrow-Brown. And Kate lives in London. She's worked in publishing for 10 years. Uh, She's now a freelance editor. She also is a visual artist and has exhibited work in a number of different galleries. The Upstairs Room is her first novel. It was there from the beginning, the day they first saw the house. Illinois and Richard have stretched themselves to the limit to buy the perfect home, a tall Victorian townhouse with enough room for their growing family. But the cracks are already starting to show. Illinois is unnerved by the eerie atmosphere in the house and is convinced it is making her ill. Their two young daughters are restless and unsettled. Three-year-old Rosie misbehaves and points to an imaginary girl. Richard, still positive they found the house of their dreams, is more preoccupied with Zoe, the alluring, mercurial, 27-year-old lodger. As Illinois' symptoms intensify, she becomes determined to unravel the mystery of the family who last lived in the house. Who were the Ashworths? Why did they leave in such a hurry? And why is the name Emily written hundreds of times on the walls of the upstairs room? This book is beautifully written, and once you get into the dark atmosphere, it becomes impossible to put down. It's a contemporary ghost story and a novel about memories, loneliness, desire, and love. The things that haunt us all. That's The Upstairs Room by Kate Murray Brown, also published by Picador. There are other books that I wanted to re- uh, mention today, but we have to start next week's show off with, is Elizabeth Strout's Anything is Possible. It's the follow-up to My Name is Lucy Barton, but it can be read independently of that book. Um, Elizabeth Strout has been receiving unbelievable reviews for both books, My Name is Lucy Barton and For Anything is Possible. And we're out of time. Just to recap, we discussed we, 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 we discussed the following books. The Child by Fiona Barton, Pieces of Happiness by Anne Ostby. The Park, Gail Schimmel, was our giveaway today. Spoils, a war story set in Iraq by Brian van Riet. Under the Sun, Lottie Magach. The Upstairs Room, Kate Murray Brown's uh, contemporary ghost story. We had an interview with Nathan Hill, the author of The Knicks. And we finished off just mentioning Elizabeth Strout's two books. My name is Lucy Barton and her new one, Anything is Possible. Until next week, good Shabbos and keep reading.